welcome to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Listen in as co-hosts Ted Stank and Tom Goldsby take a leap onto the ships of supply chain, crowd surf into the long lines of meeting holiday demand, and wade into the depths of warehouse inventory buildup. They'll cover all the relevant and current topics blocking the canal of your minds and discuss industry issues that keep you up at night. If you enjoy the show, download and subscribe to Tennessee on Supply Chain Management, wherever you listen to podcasts. Without further ado, let's begin our show, where you'll hear what you'd least expect from the people you want to hear it from the most. Our co-hosts, Ted and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Tennessee on Supply Chain Management. I'm Ted Stank. I'm here with my good friend, Tom Goldsby, who is back from travels around the world. We'll get him to weigh in a little bit on that. Talk about some of the cutting edge issues that are going on in the world today and how they impact supply chain management. And then we're going to bring in our good friend and colleague, Marianne Wanamaker. Many of you know her from an earlier podcast. Marianne is one of the top economists, one of our great economist colleagues at UT, and we'll talk about some of the labor issues that we continue to see. Tom, tell us a little bit about your travels. Where have you been? Yeah, thanks, Ted. Hey, it's great to be back on the program and and, uh, catching up on all things supply chain and whatnot. But yeah, I've been out and about traveling uh, quite a bit the last couple of weeks. I went to the Supply Chain Leaders in action event SCLA that convened in Sanibel, Florida. We had not been together since 2019 at one place and one time. It was a great, uh, great event and uh, a lot of really rich insights picked up there in a couple of days uh, in Florida. And then uh, soon thereafter, I pushed off for Europe. Hadn't been back to Europe since 2019 either. So I was long overdue and went to the European Research Symposium, an event hosted by CSCMP and It's just a great collection of uh, primarily European scholars focused on logistics and supply chain management. I refer to it as a a boutique conference, about 60 attendees hosted by the Politecnico de Milano. And I was a visiting professor at the Politecnico back in 2008. So it's great to get back to Milan. And then we managed a little bit of uh, vacation time up on Lake Como. So it was great to get back and see the colleagues and picked up a lot of great ideas. It's Really great. The SCLA was a very practitioner-oriented event, and then ERS was was academic, and so it was great to get kind of both sides of the supply chain realm in the course of a couple of weeks. What's the buzz on the continent about what's happening in supply chain? What are, what are the big topics over there? Well, you, you simply cannot avoid the ongoing war, uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that's very much foremost on, on people's minds. And, uh, you know, not that we were necessarily towards Central or Eastern Europe, but the whole of the continent is really consumed by that. And it presents itself in a lot of ways. Certainly, uh, in, inflation is presenting itself. And I think we'll talk a lot more about that uh, in today's podcast. But, you know, also just an unease, you know, that happens uh, out of conflict and the uncertainty that it introduces. And certainly, we we're focused a lot on, on the business and supply chain implications. And, you know, in, in past episodes, in fact, with Marianne, we've talked about the realignment and the reinforcement of alliances and how that's played out. And so uh, there, there's a lot of focus, uh, certainly. It's understandable in terms of not just business, but also people's personal lives. But uh, I will say that it, it was great to have, uh, again, this pan-European event, scholars from East, Central, and, and Western Europe together, as well as some North Americans like myself. But uh, yeah, just a general 
kind of uh, feeling like, hey, maybe the pandemic is, is subsiding, even though I'd say it's flaring up again, certainly in Western Europe. The political discontent out there is something that's, that's uh, foremost in people's minds. You know, I like what you said. You said the word unease. That, to me, better than any other word I've heard for a while, describes where we are now. Maybe that's the defining word of the 2020s is unease. Do we need to trademark that word or something? Or yeah. uh... <laughs> Well, you know, your former employer, the Ohio State University, was able to trademark the word the. So I guess if you could do that, we could. Don't get me started on that. but We uh... could probably trademark unease. Yeah. Hey, so I am nowhere near as bold as you. I haven't ventured as far as you have in the last few weeks. But I did make a trip down to Charleston, South Carolina to go to Jim New. Some president and CEO of South Carolina Port Authority to go to Jim's retirement ceremony and spend a little time down there with Jim. Great congratulations to Jim. It was a real great acknowledgement of all that he has brought to the Port of Charleston and South Carolina and business development, as well as earlier in his career as being president of Hot Pie Lloyd North America. So, so it was really great. Very much looking forward to seeing what Jim is going to decide for his his next chapter, because Jim is not somebody that's going to stand still. Give us a little preview of uh, what's in store, it seemed, uh, in that earlier podcast, right? Of course, we made a bid for him, so I, I don't know if he's reacted in full to that. So, uh. <laughs> Yeah, we might we might have to put that on his plate again, that he'll be uh, the, the, the co-chair of this podcast. Also, great shout out to Barbara Melvin, who is assuming the CEO and president's position at the South Carolina Port. Barbara is another great friend of our program. Our loyal podcast listeners can probably plan to hear from Barbara sometime in the future, too. She's got she's got a lot of great insight. A couple other things that I think are, uh, are worth talking about, Tom. Gartner Supply Chain Academic Program's undergraduate rankings came out earlier this month. You want to comment on, on where the University of Tennessee program played out there? Certainly. We, we rose four spots, I believe, to number two in those undergraduate rankings. And we're really pleased to see that recognition. It's, it's something that, uh, you know, we've got a lot of mixed feelings out there about the ranking systems. And, and Gartner's has been around for a, a while now. And I think they've been pretty clear in terms of what they expect. And it's taken us a little bit of time to kind of get a, a grip on, on what they're looking for and, and how we need to better serve you know, our various stakeholders. And, and fortunately, those are pretty well aligned. And so we're pleased to be uh, up in those rankings. University of Arkansas continues to hold that number one spot. So we're coming for you, Razorbacks. You know that. I will mention that this was the undergraduate program rankings. That's right. That's right. The graduate program rankings are due out in early July. Hopefully, we hold our similar position as we had the last time it came out. We were also number two in the graduate rankings. You know, the interesting thing is many programs that are highly ranked in graduate programs don't show up in undergraduate program rankings. One of the things that we've been able to do is balance high rankings in both undergraduate and graduate. So we hope that continues. And again, you got to take rankings with, with what they're worth, but they do provide some indication about how your programs do it. And we have taken some of those rankings to heart in the past and made tweaks to our programs so that, so that we make improvements. It's based a lot on what industry and industry partners want. We also recently were ranked uh, our, our full-time MBA program in the Haslam College of Business, number 22 U.S. public by The Economist. So I think it's just all good uh, validation that we're working in the right direction. We want to move into meteor topics, Tom. Talk anything about your general reads on the economy and how they impact supply chain. What's top on your list? 
Yeah, let's do it. We got a we got a good list, and like I said, I, I think it's going to connect well with Marianne's perspectives here. So we'll we'll get her uh, perspective here momentarily. But something I felt compelled to bring back uh, to the fore was the "Beware the Bullwhip" article that we wrote for the Wall Street Journal almost exactly a year ago. That came out. You know, frankly, uh, we we kind of missed the mark on that. Right, the bullwhip premise for those of you. Not so familiar suggests that a small change in demand and in particular an increase in demand will result in what's called demand amplification as that demand signal makes its way upstream in the supply chain. And so that small change in consumer demand, I think Jay Forrester at MIT back, you know, 60 some odd years ago came up with this premise and said that you could expect a 10 percent increase in consumer demand to result in a 40 percent increase in production output. By the time that signal made its way all the way upstream to to manufacturing, we were warning the world about this uh, a year ago in summer 2021. A few weeks ago, I was reading the Wall Street Journal and they said, hey, the bullwhip effect seems to be hitting retailers now. So we were off the mark by by just about a year, I guess. But we didn't anticipate Delta and the other variants of COVID that came along. And I've come to accept that as the pandemic goes, so go our supply chains, you know, because they alter both supply and demand. Ted, what's your, what's your thoughts? Do you think we can just uh, reprint that 2021 article and, and have it uh, apply to the current scenario? Well, I learned something really good about prognostication, Tom. I think we should have just said the summertime and not predicted a year, and we would have been spot on. That's a good point. One of my mentors, Tom Menser, told me that about um, predicting the completion of construction projects, that you should never say a year, just a month. And more often than not, you'll be within six months, right? That's right. I like it. That's probably what I learned. Really interesting uh, results coming from this notion of the bullwhip effect. For example, we're seeing companies that buy excess inventory and sell it at a discount are having record sales uh, because of all the excess inventory they're seeing around in consumer goods. Consumer sentiment is hitting record lows. In fact, in May, it was the lowest on record since the statistic was tracked back in 1952. Although that said, consumer spending remains relatively high going in different directions, less things on stuff that we spent money on during the pandemic, like home goods and exercise bikes and things like that, and more spending on on services. I think the TSA said that over this past weekend, we hit records for passenger travel that we hadn't had since um, 2019. So people are traveling People are going to restaurants, people are going to concerts in ways that we hadn't for a couple of years. So spending is up there. But in some of the things that saw demand increases during the pandemic, we're seeing pretty major drop offs. And and again, to your point about supply chains go as the pandemic goes, this is what made this so hard to predict right from the start is it's really tough to predict what industries, what product lines are going to see demand increases and, and demand drop offs. You mentioned inflation. We'd be foolish not to talk about supply chain issues without talking about inflation. Well, we recently saw what a 30-year high Fed increase in the basis points of inflation. There's some indication that maybe that's having the effect desired and inflation might be tempering a little bit. Remains to be seen. We're seeing some impact on home sales, both new and existing home sales. Sales in both those categories are down. We're seeing Port and railroad congestion picking up mainly because of the, the 
the existence of lots of empties that nobody wants to pick up because there's no revenue in them. What else are you seeing out there? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, and something, um, you know, that I've been thinking about and talking about lately is, you know, the question coming out in terms of whether or not supply chains can finally catch their breath a little bit. And that does seem to be maybe the case. Uh, if you think about spending shifting more towards services, certainly services still require supply chains, but they're not nearly as supply chain intensive as as goods. And then meanwhile, uh, you know, those those durable goods tend to be largely imported. So those rely on our extended supply chains and ports and and, and then non-durables tend to be a little bit more domestic. If you think of grocery and and, and the like, uh, it's kind of routine daily consumption sort of needs. So, you know, maybe just maybe supply chains uh, should be catching the breath a little bit as we see a shift in spending. To your point, though, it seems like spending is, is still pretty robust. And that's because, uh, you know, employment is still very high. And there's even jobs growth that looks really aggressive still. Again, we're going to have a uh, have our resident expert uh, shed some light on that stuff. But you're right in terms of logistics moving and shaking. Still, a lot of activity out there, and it, not only activity moving stuff, but companies themselves. A lot of mergers and acquisition activity going on out there. Some big news that hit our, our pages a few weeks ago. Actually, a few days ago was DB Schenker, a big uh, European freight forwarder, three PL that bought USA Truck, and that that got my attention because we don't tend to see these European 3PLs get involved in domestic transportation like that. So that was pretty intriguing. I know that uh, trucking stocks have, have been beaten up a little bit, so maybe it was regarded as a good buy. But USA Truck is one of the four or five largest trucking companies in the U.S. So that was pretty uh, noteworthy to me. Yeah, Tom, there's a lot of indications that maybe supply chain can catch their breath. And yet I'm going to raise some red flags on things. Um, Maersk reported uh, up to three week delays at some East Coast ports. I know the Port of Savannah has backups. West Coast is looking pretty good right now, but I just wonder what's going to happen when all those back orders on Shanghai factories start getting caught up and put in boxes and put on ships bound for the U.S. You know, the way the, the Chinese are dealing with COVID and, and the zero um, tolerance policy and shutdowns just leads to, um, you know, nothing happening and then excess happening. And, and it doesn't lead itself to, to nice, smooth flows like, like we'd like to see in the supply chain. So again, unease, beware. With that said, since we didn't seem to have a lot of answers, um, let's bring in one of our good friends, Marianne Wanamaker. Dr. Wanamaker, as I mentioned earlier, was on the President's uh, Economic Council. She is the executive director of our Baker Center for Public Policy here at UT and a, a member of our economics department in the Haslam College of Business. Marianne, you've heard us a couple of amateur hacks talking about economics and how they impact supply chain. Love to hear you weigh in on some of this with some real expertise as opposed to, you know, just some Saturday afternoon quarterbacks. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. I, As I was listening to you, I was confirming what I've been saying, which is that the three things people are complaining about continue to be that their supply chains are messed up, that inflation is too high, and that they can't find workers. And so what I've been telling folks is, yes, those are problems. And the solution to all three of those problems is a big old recession. So be careful what you wish for. <laughs> We'd like to get through this um, with, without inducing a recession. You know, coming away from some, some industry meetings, uh, th those are the big three. You're right. Be careful what we wish for, because that R word that is, is being introduced a, a lot more often. Seem, some 
suggest it's unavoidable at this point. Others would suggest maybe it is avoidable. But, you know, something that a, a lot of people are pointing toward, and it's great to have a labor economist with us, is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the assertion is that we've never seen a recession with such low unemployment. It just doesn't seem to jive with our history. What's, uh, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I mean, every business cycle has an end, right? So the pattern is that you have a recession and then the economy starts to recover. And as the economy recovers, unemployment is drawn down, drawn lower. And then eventually something happens that induces another recession, drives unemployment up, and you start this process again. So there's nothing unusual about where we are. And again, every business cycle has has ended by definition, right? And so at some point, will we have a recession? Yes. Is it going to be in the 18, in the next 18 months? I mean, I think the plurality at, at the moment of economists think the answer to that question is yes, but could we survive date, longer than that? Maybe. I'm sorry. Would you say? Yeah, I, I, I should just be so specific. Just don't give a year. Just don't yeah. give a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Will this business cycle end? I can confidently say yes. We can learn from Marianne, I think, and in so many ways, right? Everything that we read all the time and, and you see it in your day-to-day life. You still see signs on businesses saying, you know, please forgive our servers or be kind to our servers because we're understaffed. And and you hear from so many businesses that we can't do this or that because we're understaffed. My wife keeps looking at me and said, where is the labor? Where did all this go? And I keep telling her, we're going to have Marianne Wanamaker on our podcast and she's going to tell us where the labor went. So that's my question to you. Where Where is the labor? Yeah, great question. So there are really two parts of the answer. One part is that we are still well behind the labor force participation rate that we had before COVID. So we are missing about 2 million workers from the labor market just as a function of lower participation rates. But the other thing that I think gets lost in the conversation is that 2022 was going to be a really tight labor market, even without COVID, because you're at the end of this business cycle potentially. Okay. And economic growth is hot. The economy is expanding here in ways it's not in Europe. We should go back to that topic. And so we're just at the point where the unemployment rate is going to be really, really low on the, on the eve of the recession or of the COVID recession, the unemployment rate was the lowest it had been in 50 years. So we were already tight. Even without COVID, we were going to be tight in 2022. COVID just made it worse. Now, Marianne, some futurists say this is the norm now, that based on demographics and the baby boomers retiring, um, the millennials will make up for that for a little while, but Gen Z doesn't have as many people that are going to enter the labor pool. There are suggestions that this is the new norm, that we're going to always have a shortage of labor. What's your thoughts on that? And, and potentially that's where Europe is now. Yeah, well, so the the bottom line is that we don't have enough population growth in this country to support two to three percent economic growth. So we, you know, when I was in the White House, the target was three percent. The president said it all over um, repeatedly. We're looking for three percent GDP growth. I think those targets are now closer to two and a half percent, maybe two percent. But we still don't have enough population growth to support that. So year over year, growth in population in the U.S. is now zero point three. 
5%. So it's hard to see how you're going to get a surge in labor from a population that's growing at less than half a percent a year. So yes, it's structural, it's long-term. The solution, if there is a solution, includes immigration, which we should talk about in some future podcast. But we've got to come up, as a country, we kind of have to come up with a strategy for how to deal with this structural problem. And we're not from my perspective, we're not really even having a conversation about it in Washington right now. It's up to companies, obviously, to try to to meet their own needs. You know, it's, it's tooth and nail out there to, to attract and retain talent. And again, one of the most pressing challenges. But meanwhile, it does seem as though the adoption of automation is something that's gaining a lot of traction, something we've been talking about for many years, a lot of experimentation. The notion of automation in warehousing, for instance, was that it was quite good for full pallet moves, uh, automated storage retrieval systems and things like that. But really where we see the growth, the, the need is in the picking, packing, shipping of, of eaches, which is when you break down the pallet and you get down to the case or the individual item level. And, and automation has traditionally not been very good at that. However, major breakthroughs have been made in automation. And it could be things like support, the cobotization, collaborative robots, things like that, that just seem tremendous growth. And it does seem like we're starting to see a little bit of that notion moving outside the four walls as well. I don't know about the autonomous trucks. Again, that's a topic for another podcast. Uh, We've touched on it various times. But uh, did you guys see that uh, Amazon apparently got permission to have an autonomous drone make deliveries in California later this year? So. And I believe Walmart has as well. Okay. Yeah. So so maybe the bow is breaking a little bit and automation is is, is going to help help out. But uh you, you know, when you hear what was that, zero point three or point zero three percent, I know it was well under one percent population growth. It's just you know, again, it's up to the businesses in the absence of policy to be able to uh to serve their own needs and they gotta come up with creative solutions. You know, and in one area of the supply chain, something else I would suggest as a, as a partial solution is we still don't optimize our utilization rates for some of our assets. And, you know, one of the big areas of labor is obviously truck drivers. And the story that's been going on for years is the shortage of truck drivers, when in actuality, it might not be shortage of truck drivers. It's just that drivers are moving from one company to another. So what can we do to help those drivers be more satisfied with their jobs? Marianne, you and I have talked about Fair Labor Standards Act before and how that impacts um, truck drivers. Stopping drivers from sitting unpaid for hours as they pick up freight or drop off freight or sitting congestion. Stopping trucks from moving at 64% utilization instead of 90% utilization. So a lot of the technology that's coming on from an information standpoint to be able to match demand and supply in that area might be something that will help us as well. So automating, yes. Becoming more efficient, yes. Those might be two areas that can help us in in all areas of supply chain, manufacturing, distribution, transportation. Yeah. And I, again, just seems like something has to give. Ted, you and I have been talking about the waste of truck driver wait time for, for many, many years, right? And it's just, you know, for, for most people, a pretty unattractive lifestyle. It's a difficult lifestyle. It's hazardous. And I think those are issues that maybe we finally need to address. And it's not necessarily issues within the, the control of the trucking companies. It's, it's all those shippers out there that need to, you know, 
allow access to washrooms and things like that. Just basic uh, human needs that need to be met. We just need to be more understanding, it seems. Well, I'm going to toss to Marianne on this to get her input as well. But again, it comes down to some policy issues like why, correct me on the dates, Marianne, but why in the 1930s when that Labor Standards Act was passed, were truck drivers exempted from hourly wages and being paid by the mile. And you want to talk about some inflation? Let's work the way we're working today and pay those truck drivers by the hour instead of by the mile. Maybe that's a big policy issue, right? But maybe then we'll be more motivated to not keep them waiting for hours in the in the loading dock. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think you're pointing in the right direction. I will say that that sometimes there's an over, or or perhaps there's a little bit of a quickness to point the finger at the government and say, gosh, we would, we would be really efficient, except the government won't let us, right? And so I think, I think we want to be fair and also suggesting that there are technology solutions to some of these problems that don't require you to get Congress to do something. Because if you're waiting on Congress to get it done, I'm going to suggest, you know, that timeline is going to be pretty extended. And as you were talking though, Ted, I was thinking about what is happening in the restaurant industry. So the restaurant industry facing a labor shortage has come up with some innovation. And one of those things that we're seeing here in Knoxville is this ghost kitchen idea, right? Where there's a centralized kitchen that serves four different restaurants at lunch and you place your order and it comes from that ghost kitchen down the road to the restaurant you're in. And that is a labor saving technology that isn't automation, right, but does get the restaurant industry more productivity from the workers that they have. So my prediction, placing no timeline on it, is that the trucking industry is going to figure out some of those creative solutions to the problems they have. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's centralization and, and, and being able to take advantage of economies of scale. I think potentially in manufacturing, particularly as we talk about bringing some manufacturing back to the United States with the labor costs we deal with, we might see an increase in contract manufacturing uh, already prevalent in some industries like consumer electronics. I remember years and years and years ago hearing some of the automotive manufacturers talk about that in the future, and I think 2050 was the future, automotive firms would not have their own manufacturing plants, but rather they would be contract manufacturers where one car coming down the line was a Ford and the next one was a Chevy and the next one was a potentially a Toyota. And I think what you're talking about there in restaurants is a similar concept. Yeah, we're going to have to get innovative. Yeah, that's a that's a, a that's a concept we've been talking about as academics for some time. This notion of horizontal collaboration, and what it means is that you have to be willing to forego some sense of competitive advantage in those activities that you're sharing now, right? And so I think about those restaurants that are saying, "Hey, the competitive advantage is not in the kitchen; it's in what's going on beyond the kitchen." Right. And I know we've had that problem in in logistics that you mentioned, you know, 64 percent. That might actually be ambitious in terms of how well we're utilizing our transportation assets out there. But it would say, hey, let's forego the pursuit of some form of advantage in the moving and storing and stuff. And let's collaborate, maybe even with our rivals and sharing sharing assets. And that's something that we're not very eager to do stateside in Europe a lot more experimentation in those lines. And then you can take it all the way to this physical internet concept that's that's way out there in, in my estimation. But you, you just have to be willing to let go of some fundamental things that we've beholden for many, many you know, generations. 
Tom, way, way back in the early knots when you and I walked around without limps, we used to talk about a concept in distribution of multi-vendor, multi-retailer warehouses, where it wasn't just a contract warehouse um, that held multiple manufacturers' companies' goods, but it also serviced multiple retailers. And so, you know, I think, Marianne, I'm really glad you brought that topic up because there are lots of applications in the supply chain for finding ways to enhance productivity without additional labor. And, you know, maybe in the past we haven't wanted to do that because of the impact on labor and, you know, it'd send a lot of people onto the unemployment rolls. But as we view a future with limited labor, maybe these ideas really start to catch on. For those of you innovators and entrepreneurs out there, let's talk about some business plans that you could start coming up with that take advantage of this notion. Venture capitalists are loving logistics and supply chain right now, so take advantage of it. Shark Tank will welcome you. It does occur to me that the technology is is really there. Uh, it's just a, a function of you know, question as to whether or not the willingness is there, and you just have to get people to kind of break these traditional mindsets and be willing to innovate. And I'll tell you what, nothing like... Uh, Five and six dollar per gallon fuel prices to maybe lead people to want to want to innovate in those kinds of ways, as well as the, the rising wage rates that we're, we're talking about here, too. Well, folks, we've been uh, kind of all over the board here. Um, we're hitting the, the stops on our time that we want to keep you all with us. Before I end, let me say, um, Marianne, first off, thank you so much for being with us again. Love to have you on again in the near future. Our listeners love you. Any parting shots, any last thoughts that you have that we didn't have a chance to, to get out? I'll just say, I hope your listeners are all Americans when I say this, which is, you know, Tom and I both just got back from Europe. And, and I'll just say that, yes, there are some things about Europe that are better right now than they are in the United States, less of a labor crunch. But I will say that I have more confidence in the U.S. economy's ability to pivot and turn and innovate and change to adapt to the problems that we're having than I would in kind of in our, our European brothers and sisters. So it's a tough situation, but I think we're in the right place with the right mindset to deal with it. Well, you're in trouble because we have a global list. Oh, no. I'll check your Facebook. <laughs> Maybe a few from beyond uh, planet Earth, but uh, that's open for speculation. Yeah, possibly. Tom, you want to take us home? Yeah, no. Again, uh, thank you very much, Marianne. It's always great to have you on the podcast, and uh, your, your perspectives are always so timely and, and spot on. And Ted and I always learn so much. We know our listeners do as well. So thank you so much. Hey, for those of you out there, we're going to have more uh, in store, a lot a lot of action going on this summer. We've lined up some great guests coming up, so please stay tuned. And we encourage your comments and questions. We've been getting some, some great feedback, some helpful feedback. And just go to gsci.utk.edu. And uh, with that, Ted, let's go ahead and close out the podcast and say so long for now. All right. So long, everybody. Talk to you next time. to Tennessee on supply chain management. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe via your favorite listening platform such as iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from our listeners. Leave a reply in our show notes at gsci.podcast.com or email your questions to gsci at utk.edu. Join us next time in our pursuit to prove that supply chain management is more fun than you think.